welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This podcast brings you audio versions of short fiction from Kenya and the African continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mochiro. And on this episode, we welcome back Dennis Muga and his story, Theatre Masks. I remember the day Kumata disappeared so clearly. We had just arrived from Johannesburg at 6 in the morning. We were outside the airport arrivals terminal. Our history teacher, Mr. T, was calling our school van to come collect us. The driver was late and we were tired. Yellow taxis were parked around us. The taximen surrounded Mr. T, vying for his attention. Tendo was listening to music on his headphones and Nyla was watching the sunrise. I was reciting lines from our school's Easter play, adaptation of Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Gumato walked towards me and told me to hold her phone. I'm going to the washroom, she said. She took her luggage on the trolley with her. I didn't think much of it because sometimes, despite being popular, Gumato was a strange girl. Our school van arrived and Nyla, the only girl amongst us, was sent to fetch Gumato from the washroom. She went begrudgingly. She and Gumato had gotten into an argument about Gumato's overweight luggage in Oliver Tambo and they had not spoken since. She's not there, Nyla said when she came back. She said in an offhand way while folding her hands as if she didn't care. We thought Nyla was lying. And so I was sent. An elderly woman cast at me as I entered the ladies' washroom. I looked around. I saw a mop and a bucket, but there was no one else there. There was no trace of Gumato, no luggage, none of her collection of makeup and perfumes she had purchased in Santon. It's true, she's not there, I said to Mr. T. Soon after, Gumato's phone started to ring. It was her father calling. I didn't pick up, but he kept calling. Nyla, Tendo and I were suddenly afraid. Mr. T asked us not to pick up and he went to look for her with two security guards. I suppose he was afraid too. Everyone knew Gumato's father. The whole country knew Gumato's father. We saw them round up and down the terminal, through the washrooms and the cafes. Mr. T came back two hours later, short of breath, his eyes puffy and his fingers shaking. They could not find Gumato. It was as if she had walked through platform nine and three quarters. I've called the school and informed them, Mr. T said. In the school van, Gumato's father called again. Nyla picked up. Sir, this is Nyla, Gumato's friend. Gumato has disappeared. After she said that, our lives came undone. The four of us, Nyla, Gumato, Tendwa and I, were in Brookhouse School. Gumato and Tendwa were 18, Nyla and I were 19, and we were all in year 13, our last year of A-level. Our friendship had started in year 12. We were an odd pairing of friends. Nyla was the school's most gifted musician. At lunchtime in school, when we had mini concerts, she played the piano or the guitar for us over vocals which cracked portals opened. Tendra played football with mild success, but sometimes in the year 12 versus year 13 derby, he played like Mesut Ozil. I was in the school's drama club and acting was my dream. Gumato was class representative at the student council and our school's most popular girl. She created contact on Instagram and YouTube. We were all in Mr. T's history class. 
I joined Brookhouse in year 12 as a scholarship student. My mother could never in her dreams have afforded the fees at the school. I got the scholarship when I turned 18 on the condition that I performed in all the school's theater productions. I had acted in a film, Nyote Kianguka, about the life of a 17-year-old boy who tries to cope as his mother descends into depression and alcoholism. The film received rave reviews at the Nairobi Film Festival and were invited to showcase it at the New York Film Festival. The film's producer, however, embezzled the funds and we ended up not going. Everybody who saw the film praised how real my acting was, how true it felt, how honest. They didn't know it was my life. It was the first time I felt I didn't have to wear a mask while acting. I was performing the role as I had lived it. My mother watched the film as she drank a bottle of wine. She congratulated me, but immediately kept quiet, as if she had recognized herself too, as if my presence in the film exposed something she wanted to keep hidden. When I arrived in Brookhouse, I felt it was a magical world. Everything dazzled me. It was a private school for the country's elites, diplomats, and foreign ministers' children. The school's reception was lined with over a hundred small flags of the different countries students were from. Every student I saw seemed to have an elsewhere they were from, or, if they were Kenyan, an elsewhere they were going or had been to. It felt like a slice of the world, a microcosm in which all cultures of the world were contained. I had not contemplated how people could be so rich until I looked at the worth of my scholarship and my mouth almost dropped. The auditorium, the first place I went to, was large and housed in front of the castle crenations which formed the lower classes. I later learned school architects had modeled it after Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. There was a student that day on the podium talking about her summer exchange program in Switzerland. In the afternoons, for school games, would go skiing in the Swiss Alps. She had a tilt in her accent of high snobbery as if she wanted to sound like she was in a reality TV show. It was Gumato. I disliked her immediately. However, I was wrong about her. We were taking history with Mr. T together. Hey, handsome, you're new, she said to me. I blushed. She was the first person to say hello to me. She spoke a lot, and I thought she was a type of person that revealed too much of themselves at her first meeting. She was telling me about her YouTube channel and how she's used to nasty remarks people left in the comment section. It used to make me cry when I started, she said. And then she suddenly brightened up. Nowadays, I don't care. I wear my hijab with my hair showing a little. I like it that way so that when old-fashioned Muslims look at me, they can ask, what in the haram is that? I laughed until I teared up. It was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. We were five in history class. The four of us and Celeste Umwiza, a hot girl from Rwanda who I had an enormous crush on. She rolled with a clique of six-form francophone girls at our school and they spoke French and oozed elegance. She was tall and light-skinned. Her cheekbones were well-defined, regal like a princess, and she had a nice ass. Her father was the Rwandese commander who led rebels into taking of Kinshasa during the fall of Mobutu Seseko. Sometimes in class, she would forget English and say to Mr. T, Pardon, monsieur, le livre d'histoire n'est pas correct. And when she realized, she would say sorry a few times. Naila Gomato, Tendo, and I 
became close friends when we went to a people-to-people conference in Barcelona. I was able to attend because it was part of my scholarship package and also my first time traveling outside of the country. We didn't do much at the actual conference and Mr. T being the nonchalant exchange program coordinator allowed us to go around Barcelona on our own. We went to Sangrada Familia, Casa Bachelor and Camp Nou. One day we went to Castel de Montjuic. It was Palm Sunday and we were allowed in for free. We took the cable cars to the castle. Gumato recorded our trip. I'll put it on my channel, she said. Tendo was taking several photos so he could show his father later in the evening. It was the only reason Tendo had come for the trip. He had planned to see his father, a wealthy businessman who fled to Paris after being indicted on charges of corruption three years before. His father had told him he would use the train from Paris to visit him in Barcelona during the trip. Tendo was excited about this since he had not seen his father in three years and they had a close bond. When we were at the top of the castle, we took pictures beside a fluttering flag of Catalonia. Behind us, a child blew bubbles into the sky and our pictures, when we looked later at them, gave the feeling of being in an amusement park. I felt my heart warm towards my friends. Later, we walked down a street with designer stalls and left Tendwa and Nyla in the street restaurant around a rotunda waiting for Tendwa's father. That evening, Gumato came into my hotel room. She brushed through a copy of a play I was reading, Wale Soyinka's Death and the Kingsman's Horse. I like to read, she said. She told me she was reading a book, Elena Ferrante's My Brilliant Friend. I want you to kiss me, she said. I was confused. She sat on the side of my bed and moved towards me. Sometimes, all I want is a kiss, like in the movies. Her breathing was slow and heavy, and so was mine. I wanted to tell her I liked Celeste, but I didn't. So many other boys, and even girls, liked Gumato. As she neared me, she pushed me back suddenly. No, I can't. My father would kill me. Why? The room darkened and she didn't answer. I didn't say anything because I thought she would change her mind and kiss me. Suddenly, the door to my room opened and Tendra and Nyla walked in. My father is not coming. He's not coming. He said he would, but he isn't. Tendra cried, tears on his eyes. Gumato leapt and hugged him. Everything will be all right. When we reached home from Barcelona, Gumato uploaded our trip on YouTube. On the description box, she captioned it, Vibes and Inshallah. The day after Gumato disappeared, we went through school under a cloud. Every student was aware of Gumato's disappearance, even though the school administration tried to downplay the issue. In class, Mr. T's usually booming voice was subdued. Our school curriculum followed the British system, Therefore, most of the history we learned was European history. Mr. T, like a revolutionary, often inserted his own knowledge of history and taught us about the colonial expeditions of European countries in Africa and slavery. That day, he made us watch a documentary on the Second World War and assigned an essay. He didn't deviate from the textbook as usual. He sat on the teacher's chair and supported his chin with his palm, In the middle of the German Blitzig advance, 
into France, Mr. T paused the video. They will not show you this in the documentary, but France recruited, on false promises, several Senegalese terraliers. He turned to Celeste. Celeste, did I pronounce that right? No, monsieur, she replied. We laughed, and Mr. T, for the first time of the day, smiled. But this moment was short-lived because two men in dark suits walked in with the school director, a British man who no one liked. Mr. T pressed play and walked out with them. We couldn't concentrate on the documentary as they spoke to Mr. T. After five minutes, Nyla, Tendo, and I were asked to step out. The men were special investigators from the Directorate of Criminal Investigations, where Gumato's father was the director. My body grew suddenly cold. Tendo and Nyla also seemed to shiver. Mr. T brushed his palm against his forehead. Officers, there has to be a mistake, Mr. T said. There is no mistake, one of the officers replied. I couldn't see his face properly because I concentrated on the belt where a weapon holster was. I looked back and saw Celeste through the window as a map of zone occupier filled the screen. The four of us were taken to the school director's office where we found Gumato's father waiting for us. Tendo's shoulders immediately dropped. Gumato's father was a tall, wiry man, and the way his face rested made it seem as if he had caught in a permanent argument in which he held the other person in disgust. It was strange because legend had it that he had negotiated a truce between warring tribes in northern Kenya, between the Gabra, the community he was from, the Rendile, the Borana, and the Burji. And that as a 13-year-old, he had done the national examinations while still grazing cattle and placed first in his province. He had wanted many children, Gumato told me, but he had only had her. Tendwa, Nala, and I sat on the couch before him while Mr. T stood beside us. Sit down, Mwalimu, Gumato's father said. His tone was of someone who was used to issuing commands. Mr. T sat. Now, tell me again what happened. Mr. T repeated what we knew. Gumato went to the washroom, and when we went to check on her, she wasn't there. We nodded in agreement. Gumato's father counterchecked the information in a folder. It's a flight manifest and immigration clearance, he said looking at Tendwa. Since your family has a history of lying, even under oath, Isaac Tendwa. Tendwa straightened, glanced at us, and then looked back at Gumato's father. The air changed. Gumato's father was not treating us as her friends. He was treating us as suspects. Do any of you know where Gumato could have gone? He turned to me. You? She left you with her phone. No, I said as my palms began to sweat. I wasn't sure if I was lying or telling the truth. We left school at five with a late bus after a six-hour interrogation. We repeated the story over and over. They asked for minute details like, what color was the sky? Where were we coming from? What time did our flight land? Was it 6 or 7 or 6.10? And then Gumato's father checked everything again and again. Outside, while we were waiting on the bus, I saw the drama club leaving too. I had missed rehearsal. Mr. T went to the sixth form courtyard where his young son was waiting for him. We waved goodbye to them and got on the bus. On the way home, 
Naila, Tendwa and I sat in separate rooms without talking. When the bus wound its way past the Habesha restaurant where I lived with my mother, I felt my heart lift. We lived in a three-bedroom apartment in Kilimani. I found the house unlocked, meaning she was home. I didn't like finding her home. She worked as a doctor at Kenyatta National Hospital and she had completed her shift. She was in the living room watching a soap opera. She was drinking a gin and tonic and the curtains were closed. She hadn't cleaned the house at all. This had been her for almost seven years since she and my father divorced in acrimony. The divorce ruined her more than my father's absence ruined me. More so after he remarried less than a year later and never called. She had boyfriends who I disliked. They came once in a while and then left, leaving her hollow. Mom, Sasa, I greeted her. She turned to me and said, Carice, you're home. I cleaned the dishes, tidied up the dining table and threw out bottles of gin. Then I went to the shower. As the mist rose, I stepped into a memory. It was something Gumato had said to me in South Africa a week before at the Round Square Conference. We were cycling in Suke's Boys Ranch Nature Reserve. Gumato and I were at the back of the cycling line, moving uphill. It was slightly misty, and we couldn't see far. She seemed so happy, so delighted, but as we went up, she got tired and more tired. I tried to urge her on, but she didn't move. Soon, we couldn't see anyone else. I'm tired, Caris, she told me. I looked at her, and there were tears in her eyes. It's only a hill. Come on, we can even push our bikes. No, I mean I'm tired of not being myself, she said. It's like I'm wearing a mask all the time. I am someone else at home, a good daughter to my father. I wear a mask as a content creator. And in school too. I want to go somewhere where I don't have to be someone else. You're an actor. You wear a mask all the time. You have to be someone else every time. Do you know what I mean? She didn't let me answer. Instead, she lifted her sweater and showed me a new tattoo on her arm. It was theater masks. The muse of tragedy and the muse of comedy. I left the shower and joined my mother in the sitting room. She had switched the channel to the news. There was Gumato, the director of Criminal Investigation's daughter, announced missing for the whole world to see. Isn't that your classmate? My mother asked. Gumato's disappearance became the only thing anyone discussed at school. Since Nyla, Tendo, and I were the last ones to see before she disappeared, we were highly sought after. There was a gazebo in the courtyard with an artificial stream where we used to hang out before and after history class. One day, a girl in year 10 brought a painting of Gumato's face from the art class. It had Gumato's phrase, vibes and inshallah. Every morning, like a ritual, students started leaving flowers at the gazebo. Some burnt incense in a vase and left it there, while others from the lower classes came and said a prayer for Gumato's safe return. It was like a shrine. On her Instagram and YouTube profile, her pictures and videos filled with thousands of comments and hashtags. We miss you, Gumato. We love you. You inspire me so much. I want to travel like you. Hashtag ILY Gumato. Hashtag Vibes and Inshallah. Her videos went viral. They were watched over and over, and it was as if her afterlife was on the internet.
Some new followers would at Nyla, Tendwa, and me on the posts we appeared in with her. At Karis underscore, at Nyla underscore Wangari, at Tendwa underscore Isaac. I hope you find your friend Gumato. You must have loved her. The most famous post was a video of us in Barcelona, and it gained about a million views. It was clear Gumato's disappearance had not made her invisible. I missed Gumato. I missed her laughter and her lightness. I missed how easy she moved around. She was one who helped Nyla, Tendo, and me to navigate through school with an air of coolness. With Kumato, we could sit on any school bench and people would surround us waiting for her to tell stories. Without her, the three of us seemed serious. I was trying to get into an excellent acting school, and so was Nyla, but for music. For Tendwa, all his desires seemed to be on hold without his father. Often, I did not believe Gumato had disappeared. It seemed so unbelievable. She was there, and then she wasn't. When I arrived at school, I would sit on the gazebo waiting for her to turn up and tell me she had lost her way to the washroom. Sometimes, I wonder where she could have gone. Had she turned around and boarded a flight to somewhere else? Was she still in Kenya? I worried if she was even alive. The laughter of children playing around would reach me. Sometimes sounding near, sometimes sounding far. But I'd never see the children, and when the bell for classes rang, their voices would disappear as if they were phantasms. A question the public often asked as time passed was how the director of criminal investigations could not find his daughter. Gumato had disappeared when several people were disappearing as well. Every day, there would be a missing person on the news. If Gumato's father could not find his daughter, was anyone in the country safe? Or was he complicit in the disappearance like the days of the dictatorship when people were disappeared by the authorities and never heard from again? A petition was presented in parliament to have him removed for incompetence. Still, Despite her disappearance, Brookras brought me closer to my dreams, to acting, to doing what I love. Issa came and we performed our play of The Crucible in front of a full auditorium. We dedicated it to Gumato. After the curtains fell, Celeste and Nyla came backstage. Celeste was holding two letters while Nyla was smiling. Open them, Celeste said. My hands shook when I saw the letters had the crest of the two schools I had applied to for university, Year School of Drama and Juilliard School. I tore through them quickly. You have received admission with full funding. I was in. Celeste hugged me. She looked so beautiful. I wanted to kiss Celeste without stopping and asking her in my most romantic voice, Utanipenda nikikupa moyo wangu. Nyla had gotten into Juilliard School and Berkeley for music. We were so excited. I felt I was on the cusp, as if my dreams were valid, like Lupita Nyong'o said. It was important for me to study abroad for university. By being away, I could reinvent myself. I could be anything I wanted. I wanted to be away from my mother. I was tired of seeing her defeated, and my studying abroad would disassociate me from her without making me feel guilty for abandoning her. I didn't tell her immediately of my acceptances. I wasn't sure if she couldn't see through me. 
a mother often knows her child's thoughts. When I eventually told her, she simply said, I'm happy for you, and then went back to her drinking. I was in the courtyard when I heard the bad rumors. That day, Nala came to me and said, Have you heard? They're accusing Mr. T of kidnapping Gumato. What? Yeah, the whole sixth form is talking about it. I could not believe it. The whole day passed in a blur. We did not have history class, so I could not confirm from Mr. T or Tendwa if what Nella had told me was true. The next Saturday, Tendwa invited Nella and me to visit him. Often, when we went to Tendwa's, we didn't stay in his house. He lived with his aunt in Garden Estate since his mother passed away when he was 14, and his father was in exile. His aunt was suspicious of visitors since Tendwa's father often sends his son's fees and upkeep through various shell companies and trusts in tax havens. Instead, we'd walk to an abandoned building site which Gomato sometimes used for taking photographs and videos for her channel. It was where we went that day. Tendra put on a sweater and walked slightly ahead of us. It was during the rainy season. The tarmac was dark and smelt of earth and the greens of the trees was glossy. The site, as we approached, seemed larger than usual. It was a university that was being built in the 80s or 90s and its construction was halted when the owner disagreed with a former dictator. The building was covered by trees, grass, moss and the vines so it seemed like an ancient civilization in a rainforest. The detectives and Gumato's father told me to say that it was Mr. T who did it. Tendwa said without looking at us. What did you do, Tendwa? They said they would drop the charges against my father. They will allow him back. Tendwa, no, no you didn't, I said. Is that why six formers are saying those things about Mr. T? Naila asked. Tendwa, how could you? I changed my statement. They need the three of us to change for their case to work. I held Tendwa by the shirt. I wanted to hit him, but I still felt sorry for him. His shoulders were dropped as if he had given up, even though he was stronger than me. Mr. T has a son, Tendwa. Why? I haven't seen my father in three years. And you think you're special. My parents died when I was six. Karis hasn't seen his father in seven years, Nyla screamed at him. Who are you, Tendwa? Nyla and I stopped talking to Tendwa. Whenever we saw him in school, he would turn in the other direction and walk away. In history class, he came later than usual, and when the lesson ended, he was the first to leave. We never told Mr. T what Tendwa had done to him, but we worried every day the police would arrest him. Our palm tree was announced. It would be a masquerade. It would be on the last Friday after our finals. I worried I wouldn't have anyone to go with. I wanted to ask Celeste, but I was terrified she would say no. I also worried about what to wear. I wasn't sure I would get enough money from my mother to buy a nice suit and mask. One day after lunch, Nala and I were in the library reading for exams when I opened my email on the school computers. There was an email from the Juilliard School. I thought it was about our confirmation of acceptance and details on how to apply for a visa. And so I was delighted. But when I opened it, I was stunned. The school had rescinded my admission. The email was brief and heartbreaking. 
In light of your involvement in recent events brought to our attention by the authorities, we will not be proceeding with your admission at this time. I showed Nyla my email and she quickly opened her email. The school had rescinded her admission as well. She placed her hands on her head. We walked to the shelves on the back of the library and sat on the floor. Nyla started to cry. My lips were shaking. I saw my dreams start to crumble. What do we do now? Nyla asked. Gumato's father was an evil man. He would chase a lie to protect his job instead of finding his daughter. Sitting there, I remembered what Gumato told me when we were in Johannesburg. We were walking around the apartheid museum. It was a sunny day and the sun filtered through in sharp splits. We read about the gold rush in South Africa, the development of township in Bantustans, the Shaperville's massacre, and discrimination policies. We reached a section about the imprisonment of Nelson Mandela in Robben Island. Can you believe they did this? I asked her. And then Gumato turned to me and said, This is nothing compared to what my father did to me. I? What do you mean? No, you don't know my father. She got angry. And you don't know what he did to me. When Gumato was like this, I never quite understood who she was, what she meant when she opened the curtains to reveal what was hidden beneath her. I suppose she was searching for freedom in the same way that I was with my life and acting. She seemed to have freedom, but only as far as it was allowed by her father. What? I was surprised but also intrigued. What did your father do to you? But she didn't answer me because Mr. T came and told us we were running out of time. And I didn't get a chance to ask her what she meant. As the days went by, Nyla and I did not receive rescinding letters from our other schools. Me from Yale, her from Berkeley. We were about to do our finals and it was last history class with Mr. T. I sat close to Celeste, my palms sweating. Celeste, will you be my prom date? I was so nervous I didn't notice Mr. T coming to class. Mr. T came with four similar prints and handed one to each person in class. This is the Rocha test and it is used in mental health examinations, but today I will use it to illustrate something important about history. This is the first of 10 cards. Celeste looked at me and smiled. She tore a page from her book, wrote down something and folded it. I want you, working individually, to write down what you can see. We took five minutes and wrote down what we thought. After the time was up, Mr. T asked us to read our answers out. Celeste saw a butterfly. Nyla saw a spine and ribs. Tendra saw a moth, while I saw a theater mask. Celeste passed me the notes as Mr. T touched the smartboard. We, oui, Sherry, I'll be your prom date, the note said. I was so delighted, I wanted to scream. My blood boiled in happiness. This is how history is. Most people see history in the way that best serves them. He paused. I would like you, this being our last class, to always question history. Always read more. Always ask questions. Never take history from the side of oppressors. The past makes us who we are, and we cannot be defined 
only by one side of the story. Celeste left to go to the washroom. Keep the prince. That is the one lesson you can take from this class. He was about to finish saying his goodbyes to us when two police officers walked in. They told him he was under arrest. They told him three students could place him at the scene of Gumato's kidnapping. He was handcuffed. Nyla Tendo and I looked at him. He looked back at us as if he knew what we had done, as if we were the accusers of the witches of Salem. Celeste came back as Tendra was leaving. Her hands were behind her back as she appeared startled. What happened? I've seen Mr. T with police officers going to the parking lot. Those two are not better than me, Tendra replied, grunting in disgust. Carice, Cherie, what happened? Celeste asked, but I didn't reply. Nyla! Nyla only shook her head and bit her nails until Celeste left, annoyed at our silence. Nyla and I sat in the class the whole afternoon, tainted, ashamed, and full of guilt, looking at the smart board as if we were watching film credits rolling up. Theatre Masks was read to you by Andrew Njenga and written by Dennis Muga. Dennis is a writer and editor from Meru, Kenya. He won the 2022 Black Warrior Review Fiction Contest and was shortlisted for Isele Magazine's inaugural Short Story Prize and was longlisted for the 2021 Afritondo Short Story Prize. His work has appeared in Jalad Africa, Lolwe, Isele Magazine and the Washington Square Review. He's currently the Rajat Nyogi Editorial Fellow at Longhouse. You can find him on the site formerly known as Twitter and his handle is Muga underscore Dennis. Muga spelled M-U-G-A-A. If you'd like us to consider your short story for the podcast, drop us an email at nipestorypodcast at gmail.com. Stories should be between 750 and 4,500 words and we'll be more than happy to have a look at it. Nipe Story is available to download or listen here on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast from. We are on Facebook and on X or Twitter and our handle is Nipe underscore story. Thank you for listening. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.